Hi, and welcome back to the Breaking Bad Insider Podcast. My name is Kelly Dixon. I'm one of the editors on the new hit show, Breaking Bad, which airs on the AMC Network. And I'm here today with my executive producer, Vince Gilligan. Hello. And I'm also here with uh, one of the writers, the writer of episode 203, Peter Gould. Hey, Peter. Hey. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So uh, we're going to be discussing uh, episode number 203 today. 203 is called Bit by a Dead Bee. That's right. What and, it, um, Peter, what uh, what does that title refer to, by the uh, way? Well, one of our mandates the first season was we were trying to think of titles that uh, were drawn from dialogue from classic movies. And so they, we had some very interesting, obscure titles. This one it kind of follows in that tradition. And it's actually from uh, the Howard Hawks film, To Have and Have Not. And it was uh, Walter Brennan had a repeating line. He said, have you ever been bit by a dead bee? Oh, sh- you know what? I, I've been telling people it came from Treasure of Sierra Madre. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. All right, well, now, now you know. You're in trouble. I know, no You're kidding. Gonna get, they're going to take you to movie jail. So it's, it's Netflix from, jail. So, <laughs> so it was from To Have and Have Not. To Have and Have Not, yes. Oh, crap. I, I've said that in like two interviews now. <laughs> we should also say at this point, Peter was uh, also uh, one of our writers on our first season, and you wrote episode 106, which was titled... A No Rough Stuff Type no, no Deal. No Rough Stuff Type Deal. <laughs> Thank you. Which was the, the great episode that, that ended our last season. That was just, it was the, uh, the climactic season ender. Uh, that wasn't meant to be, but it, uh, yeah. I think it worked out It worked out great. It worked out great. And actually, that title, not to go too far back in the distant mists of time, but uh, uh, a No Rough Stuff type deal refers to? That's from Fargo. 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 Right. And uh, really the idea, I guess, that the Walt uh, is trying to get away with everything clean and without a lot of violence. And, of course, uh, that's not quite the way it works out. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll, you know, we'll just start right in. The episode opens where, uh, sort of, I guess, one of our signature shots where it's like a, a shot up through looking at Walt and Jesse doing something oh, um, kind of reminiscent of, I guess, episode uh, 102 last year and the bags in the river when yeah. Walt and Jesse were cleaning up Emilio. That's right, and used the same rig. That's a good question, Kelly, because uh, that is sort of our signature shot, and we do it with a, uh, so that, was, that was indeed shot indoors, right, that one? Uh, that one was shot, they moved the rig outdoors for that. Oh, okay, but it was the same rig. It was, and in fact, it's a, uh, yeah, describe a giant... Giant frame with a uh, plexiglass on top, and uh, for this episode, the plexiglass uh, had seen better days. It was a little bit, a little bit scratched up. I think, I think we ended up getting new plexiglass after this, uh, after this episode. You know, it is Dennis Peterson, our special effects uh, man, who does a wonderful, wonderful work. Blew up Tuco's lair last season, amongst many other things. He built that rig for us, and yeah, like Peter just said, you can stand underneath this thing. It's probably seven or eight feet tall, and you got room to put the camera crew underneath. And I don't think it was plexiglass. It was a sheet of tempered glass, I think, special tempered glass with Lexan or something like that. And you can put your full weight on it. You can stand on it. That also was the same rig used to get that great shot in uh, episode 105 last season, which was uh, the the episode that introduced Tuco. There's a shot in that episode where Walt, in slow motion, throws the piece of fulminated mercury at the ground and he's not actually throwing anything that piece of uh of fulminated mercury was on a wooden dowel as a rod that's being slid that's being pushed toward the camera so that they knew exactly where it would land and uh that was a great shot so same rig same rig that's used for the uh, as kelly said used wow. for burying the pistol at the beginning of bit by a dead bee now there's a lot of guns in episode 202 
grilled, the one that we saw last week. But yet, this gun, this was Tuco's gun? Whose gun was this that they're burying? It's Tuco's. Tuco's yep. gun. It's the one that he grabbed, uh, that Jesse grabbed out of Tuco's waistband and so and they're shot just, him with. they're just burying it to hide it, so there's no evidence of them at all well, for Hank to find. Yeah, because when you think about it, they could match the bullet that's left in Tuco's belly at the end of uh, episode two, last week's episode. They could match that to this gun, so suffice it to say, Walt and Jesse don't want this gun with their fingerprints on it found by anybody. God, you guys just think of everything, don't you? No, no. <laughs> I'm just we kidding. try. <laughs> hey, uh, Peter, talk about those amazing shots uh, at the beginning of the episode. Those, uh, The one that astounded me when I saw it, because I wasn't there when you guys were shooting it. I was here back here in Burbank. Let me interrupt and, you one thing. I'm sure that most people, well, I'm not sure how many people know this, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Just so people know, uh, we shoot our, our show in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. But uh, the writer's room, uh, producers and writers are actually here in Los Angeles, as is all of the post-production here in Los Angeles. Yep. So um, usually what will happen is uh, you guys, the writers, you guys will work in the writer's room, but if it's your episode, you, you trek over to... Albuquerque for what if a couple of days of your prep schedule and a couple of days of your shooting schedule so you're there on hand my that's right right that's, yeah exactly yeah. they're on hand to answer questions and help the director out and help the producers out the the on-site producers in Albuquerque so you guys started shooting these shots where Brian and excuse me uh, Walt and Jesse are trekking across the desert and they're they're so far. They're, they're like so far away. Tell them how far they really are. Well, the, what's interesting is actually that's almost walking distance from our soundstage. That's an area that's undeveloped land really near Q Studios, which is where we shoot the show. Which is really right on the edge of nothing. I mean, it's like at the edge till the desert. I mean, it's, it's right it's, there. It is, although they're building houses there now. So, oh, you know, okay. So there's some wasteland that you'd act, you'll actually see in this episode that is now developed. And also, interestingly enough, we had to work really hard to to avoid uh, overlapping with Terminator 4, which was shooting at the same time on some of the same locations, or close to the same locations, and they were, the uh, Terminator 4 people were very nice in letting us use some roads that they had uh, exclusive access to. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Terminator 4, they built a whole section of the Rio Grande River out out there in the wilderness. It was was a different, it was interesting to see the two forms of filmmaking. You know, you say you had our crew, which is sort of lean, and I mean, it has, we have everything we need, and it's a great group of people, but it's, you know, it's a lean, fast group of people, and there's just a few trucks, and it's a commando operation, and then you would see the Terminator people, and it was like the Normandy invasion. Yeah. And it was just, it was just spectacular. Let's see what 120 to 150 million dollars will buy you. Yeah, I'm guessing. What I, it does, I, I, I what it does, sure. and what it doesn't buy you. Jesus. I don't know. God, they had every kind of helicopter and Harrier jet, but. I'm going to stop now because we're not doing a commercial for them. No, so. but well, one of the things that was sort of interesting about the uh, the the hot, I, I wasn't actually there for that part of the shoot, but I was there for the prep of it. The head of our rigging crew, Crow, got uh, one of the tallest condors uh, okay. available. So the camera actually is up, I think, 70 feet high for some of those early, early shots. Especially that one scene, the one shot where the two of them are walking and then Walt pauses to cough. Yes. And- yeah, so that was on a camera on a condor. Was it an operated camera? Was there a guy up there with it? Or uh, That's a good question. I wasn't there for that. Yeah. But I, th- I think, I suspect it was not operated. Yeah, because it seems like it's through 500 feet in the air. I guess it's because of the wide-angle lens. Well, too. I am so proud of that sequence for a bunch of reasons. One of them is that uh, I love it, the fact, one of the things that we have the freedom on the show is to do a sequence that has no dialogue. 
And uh, it's, it's just totally kick-ass opening, yeah. uh, especially after what happened in 202, which yeah. was, you know, was so tumultuous. To open up this episode and have it be so spare, yeah. you know, we're hoping the audience follows along with us because uh, we're asking a lot from them. But one of the things that we had talked about when we were working on it was, you know, how are Walt and Jesse going to figure out what their next move is? Oh, man. We talked out pages of dialogue. And then uh, <laughs> what ended up happening was we took it all away. And I, for me, that's right. For me, yeah. just seeing those, uh, seeing those images of these two guys staggering along in the desert, just really tells a, a whole story in itself. You know, you're right, Peter. I'd forgotten all about that. We we were sitting around the writers' room, all of us, and we we did the math in our own heads. What does Walt and Jesse know at this point? And it started to make our heads hurt. I mean, do they know <laughs> that Hank knows it's them? Does Hank know that they were out there because Jesse's car was out there? And wait a minute, how did Hank get out there in the first place? And we went back and forth days on end, and we really thought we had written ourselves into a corner, and we were never going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, I don't even remember who it was, but it dawned on somebody that it, if Walt plays it crazy enough, it doesn't really matter, you know, as that's the salve that covers all wounds. Well, it's funny because, you know, I certainly wasn't there in the writer's room. I don't know how you guys broke that whole thing. And in just reading its progression, I never it never occurred to me about those questions because as a viewer, you're looking at it and you just don't know where it's going. And then Walt hits you with that whole thing. Or Jesse says something like, are you sure that's what you want to do? And at that point, my whole thought about it was okay well what is it you know i wasn't even concentrating on do they know this do they know that what's going on but, but if we think hard enough about it we we know that walt and jesse don't know that's true that's that's part of the reason <laughs> to keep things moving as fast as we can that's true moving. but let me ask you this too you guys um we talked last week about how things had to be done out of order because of scheduling of raymond cruz yes but did you break them in order? Did you write them in order? We did break them. Because they oh, certainly absolutely. didn't yeah, shoot in order. <laughs> absolutely. They were all broken and written in order. You know, there's a, there's a phrase that Vince uses a lot that I've really taken to heart, which is brick by brick. And uh, there's a certain power in just working things through sequentially. This happens and then this happens. And that's, you know, that's one of the ways that we start our episodes. You know, we'll go, we'll, we'll say, how the hell are they going to get out of this situation? Yeah. You know? Where did the last episode leave us uh, to start with? So... Okay, my next question is, obviously, the next thing we see is uh, our little fun scene in the high-low market. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys have asked Brian to do uh, quite a few things. Um, now, how did you approach him? I mean, I'm sure that he is, you know, was totally game, but how did you approach him about, Brian, guess what? You're going to be naked in the store. <laughs> you know, I don't know that I ever actually called him up and said we... I probably should have as a showrunner. I probably should have called him up. I, I, I can't remember now. Or, or did we just ship the script out there and let him discover it for himself in the pages? <laughs> I, I think I think with Brian, you know, the you know, our feeling was, yeah, he'll be he's he's up for it. In fact, uh, isn't it part of his contract that he gets to take his clothes off every couple every, of episodes? Every every I, seven out of thirteen. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> now we uh, now we did think long and hard about that, and uh, I don't ever want to assume that brian is up for anything because i i, I don't I, you know this is one of those things you, you know you always say uh, gee i would never ask someone to do something i wouldn't do myself but this is something i wouldn't do myself <laughs> so, so I, I there is a certain measure of responsibility and a certain measure of guilt i feel when we lay a scene like this on him because i wouldn't do it myself but uh it seemed I don't think we did it lightly or blithely, you know, chortling to ourselves, oh, this is going to be fun, you know. It, we couldn't think of a better way 
for Walt as a character to get out of the jam he was in. He had a lot of explaining to do. You know, he mm-hmm. disappeared for three days, two days, however long it was, when he was held hostage by Tuco. And he knew Hank was out there. And he didn't know what Hank knew. He didn't know what his own wife knew. He, he had to get out of an insanely huge jam. And then we said to ourselves, we went back and forth, well, why didn't he just show up at the supermarket and, you know, pretending he doesn't know his own name and, you know, he's got amnesia. And we, we came down to the idea that it's got to be so out there that Skyler doesn't question <laughs> it. Yeah. And taking off your clothes in a public place, especially when you're Walter White, who is a... Buttoned-up guy. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to... If you're Walt, you have to inoculate yourself against the questions and the suspicions that are going to arise when you show up, basically unscathed <laughs> after two days. And that was the best thing we could think of. And I, and I think it is the right way to go. And thank goodness Brian is such a trooper and was willing to do it. <laughs> I'm still surprised uh, AMC let us put it on the air. Oh, yeah. Especially uh, in the version that ended up being on the air. Yeah. Absolutely. But I, to their, I say that to their credit because uh, it's just a, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a pair of naked male buttocks it's not a sexual scene or anything like that and it's you know yeah that was that was not about doing something just to get a big reaction out of the audience that was that was our best effort at you know what would we do in that scenario how would we explain ourselves and, and I if, think, we, if we were in the same situation i think one of the things that strength of the episode is that we don't forget about that you know that the fact that he's done this and that he has presented himself doing something that's really crazy uh, that changes his relationship with his wife and with his son. Yeah. And I, I think we see that, and with his with his brother, with his whole family, with yeah. everybody. <laughs> and I think we see that as the episode goes on, that uh, it's not going to be so easy to recapture their uh, their trust and respect and all, all the other things that he yeah. kind of takes for granted, really. Good point. You'll see in upcoming episodes, there are no, easy, there's no easy way out for Walt. There are always repercussions. And even when he thinks he's out, even when he thinks he's made up the world's most perfect alibi, he finds out it's 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 never that simple. It's always going to be much more complicated. We should talk about the director, maybe. Yeah, I actually was going to bring that up. That there's some really wonderful shots in this film. Yeah. Uh, very, very, very beautiful uh, stuff going on, starting with the shots, you know, the overhead shots in the desert. And Terry McDonough, who directed this episode, very visual director. Yes. And he had never directed in the U.S. before. This was his very first uh, experience with an American crew. And with American television. And now here's one thing I I guess I can tell you guys um, about what happened up here. As I told everybody last week, um, the directors will come up and and work with us. As they'll come up and work with the editor for about four days. And one of the things that we realized about Terry, because he had never directed here in the U.S., there's a line that you guys wrote in, or that you wrote, Peter, in your in your script about um, Jesse when he says that he, he got food from the vending machines, Funyuns and Hot Pockets. <laughs> and, and Terry McDonough did not know what Funyuns and Hot Pockets were. In fact, we actually sent PAs out to get Funyuns, <laughs> Funyuns and Hot Pockets. They're, in fact, they're still in our fridge. They're still in our, in our freezer there. Um, oh, okay, so gotta, Terry McDonough can... Uh, we got to cut. i got to go have one. Yeah. <laughs> they're delicious. Funyuns are awesome. <laughs> So he didn't know. Does he know what? Do they have vending machines in England? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it was he was working with Skip McDonald, um, great editor Skip McDonald, and uh, it's funny because Skip. Uh, we talked about last week with Skip about uh, sh- uh, when we shot out of order, and it seems like Skip basically had to be cutting round the clock here because he cut two o two and two o three. Terry, one of the things I think to watch for in the episode is Terry's use of. Uh, uh, anyone who's interested in uh, photography or cinematography, look at the the way he uses lenses yeah. and the way he uses focus. 
and uh, you know, I'm thinking uh, especially uh, it was actually the first day of filming uh, for this for the season outside of Jesse's house when uh, when he actually focuses on the fence and the yeah. two guys and the two guys, the two guys are hefting the barrel back behind he just he he has this uh, very unique way of looking at things that I think really uh, really makes the depth to the episode and, and it, it, but it always is always picking up on something emotional yeah. and something about the storytelling it's not just flash for the sake of flash that's one of the things that I picked up right away also um I don't get to see the episodes usually as they're being shot because I'm busy cutting my own episode. And so I didn't really get to see a lot of the stuff that, you know, was in that episode until it was finished. And I was very, very taken at the choices that he made. You know, one of my favorites is uh, Skylar and Marie's phone conversation uh, where, you know, Skylar is telling Marie where Walt is and what happened. And he chooses to shoot it through two glass doors. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know, it's really nice to see somebody take a different look at stuff and and one of my very favorite shots um in the whole thing was uh when Walt is at the bus stop mm-hmm. and he yeah. needs to see his his own missing poster yeah. Yeah. and i know that you know many directors would have shot Walt and then they would have turned around and shot that missing poster but Terry McDonough gets two uh what he 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 kills two birds with one stone on that and it's really quite a good way to look at things uh, i was, think that was a great shot i was i was actually there that day i'm Unfortunately, I hadn't been on the set as much this season as I would have liked, but I was there that day. And, uh, yeah, I remember him coming up to me and saying, don't you think we could get this in? Uh, I should have <laughs> Nigel Tufnell from Spinal Tap. Is a, you know, don't you think we get this in one? And uh, I just remember thinking, damn, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. He's a very smart guy. He used to be camera operator. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, when a lot of times, too, when they used to be operators or DPs, you, you see that kind of stuff a lot. You see them really look at things very, very differently. So well, it's kind of cool. It was intriguing to me because I had never been on a, the sets I've been on. I've been lower budget, and uh, we used two cameras on the show. Yeah. And one of the things that intrigued me was to see how he would place the two cameras. That's a good point. You know, there's a lot of times, uh, just because you have two cameras doesn't mean you should use them all the time. A lot of DPs will say, you know, let's use one camera at a time and get the one perfect shot instead mm-hmm. of two mediocre shots. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it, these things occupy a, a certain amount of space, even though they're smaller now than they've ever been. It takes all the guys operating them and, you know, squashing them together in one tight spot often leads to two mediocre shots instead of one great one but guys like terry really know how to use them both at once and get two great shots out of them peter you got to tell me some of this dialogue you know i I really love reading your script you definitely keep impressing um in this one like i love that the dialogue with badger like down in the uh in the in the basement you are willy wonka and you know sail me down your chocolatey river of meth well badger's a such a fun character to write for you know he's uh jesse's jesse you know. <laughs> yes, he's the guy that makes Jesse look like Walt. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly. A if y'all, by the way, if y'all haven't done it yet, check out Badger on uh, the uh, minisodes, the webisodes on uh, the AMC uh, website. Uh, you can see Badger uh, singing the song Fallacies on uh, on the uh, on the AMC website. He's, we, he's Matt Jones. He's got a good voice. Well, one thing that we we would talk about just before this podcast started was uh, there were a couple of times when Matt would change the dialogue, and I remember specifically the first day of shooting, he started to change a line, and the script supervisor started heading over to change it back, and you and I both said, "No, no, no, no! Yeah, it's right, good. We right, like right, it that right. way." It uh, was uh, what was it? It was uh, had Jehovah's Jehovah's Witnesses, or yeah, he says those those dudes are talking about the cops. That was our first day of shooting for the season. Actually, was the scene in the 
Gold Fierro when Jesse and Badger are watching the police officers trying to knock on or knocking on Jesse's house, knocking on the doors and looking in the windows, and and Badger says something like, uh, "Those dudes don't give up. They're like Jehovah Witnesses. They're like Jehovah's Witnesses." That was the line, and he said Jehovah Witnesses, and, <laughs> uh, which is certainly not how Jehovah's Witnesses like to call themselves but it sounded like something that would fall out of badger's mouth so that's one of the things that the actors really just add so much and uh one of the things that we have to be watch for is not to keep them on book when what they're doing is a big improvement yeah because you know everyone's very respectful of the script yeah and so if you tell them no no i, I think we should go back this way usually they will yeah but you have to be open to what's going on and, and boy he just makes me laugh well good advice to all the budding writers out there you, your words are you did come by them very hard you work very hard to put them on the page but don't be too precious about them try to be open-minded about it when an actor comes up with something that's better so we like jump ahead a little bit to uh jesse and our favorite meth whore wendy <laughs> in the um in the crystal palace our, our favorite meth hotel. Uh, we get the DEA busting in, the huge the M16s and the riot gear. And then uh, we get them uh, being interrogated by Hank. And uh, I actually cut, uh, last year I cut uh, episode 102, which was called And the Bags in the River. And so that was the first episode where we saw Wendy, the meth whore. And now Wendy's back. Um, and Vince, you had uh, a few little tidbits of information for me last year about the actress that plays Wendy. She's a, a lovely uh, woman who is, uh, well, you know, I, I shouldn't say this with absolute certainty, but I, I think she's very much, she's in wonderful shape. And the reason she's so uh, thin is be- and nicely thin, you know, like low body fat mass, whatever the hell you call it, is because she's a triathlete. She's run and won a bunch of triathlons, and she's a, like a soccer bomb with, with uh, kids. Those aren't her real teeth. <laughs> Those are not her real teeth, but she's actually a very uh, uh, lovely woman and, and, and has a perfectly nice set of teeth. Uh, we, our, <laughs> our makeup people make her really uh, unattractive, but she's actually a very attractive, very sweet lady who, as I say, is like a really fine athlete. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why she's so thin. It's not, it's not the meth. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, Peter, like, we've, we've put Jesse in custody now. And uh, even in the face of, what, $67,000, if I remember the correct... No, I don't remember how much it was. It's a whole lot of cheddar, yeah. is what you guys yeah. say. <laughs> it's a whole lot of money, and he is not rolling at all. And then they bring in Uncle Tio. Right. And we talked about Uncle Tio, uh, Mark Margolis, the actor that plays Uncle Tio, uh, last you know you're saying last uncle, week. Uncle. I know, but it's more fun that All way. All right, okay. <laughs> but we talked about uh, Tio last week and and about the fact that we had to shoot these things out of order. But obviously, since we had to shoot this episode way before we shot uh, episode uh, 202, which played last week, you guys had to make a decision about Uncle Tio and yeah. the bell and what Uncle Tio was going to do and. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think one of the things that we thought was that he'd cleaned up a little bit since 202. He's in a facility. I think social services probably picked him up once Hank got there and shot his nephew. Yeah. Well, he's got that (laughs) fabulous nurse. Yes. You know, who's taking care of him. And so he's a little bit cleaned up. Mark Margolis, who, who plays Uncle Tio, is... I'm sure you talked about him. Last I did, week. but you know, he's a, he deserves he merits talking about twice. He's a great actor. He is. He is a great actor, and uh, he uh, we needed a great actor to be able to. And of course, he was cast 
early, you know, for for this episode, ironically enough. Yeah, this this was his first day of work. He only worked the one day in this That's episode. Right. And That's this right. was his very first one. He had to poop himself in the uh, wheelchair. That's right. Which he did admirably. <laughs> yes. And take after take, he I don't know, he ate a lot of apples. Yeah, well, he's and, a method and, uh, actor. He's, I don't know, it was very, <laughs> it was impressive. Five, six takes, yeah, always he, on cue. Yeah, he's, yes, he did. That well, the sound, the sound effects help. And it's just so much fun to see him and Aaron uh, together, especially because Tio doesn't move, and Aaron is so twitchy in that yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's got so much movement, and it's it's uh, such a great contrast between the two characters. Um, I guess in one last thing that I'd like to get from you guys, if you can, can you talk? Can you both talk a little bit about things are definitely changing. I mean, this episode is a much quieter episode than last week's episode, and it's not as immediate. It's almost like. What's happening now is Walt is trying to make a plan, but other people are kind of solidifying things that have happened before, and they're kind of the wheels are starting to turn. The wheels are starting to turn for Skyler. Uh, Junior is a little off balance, you know, because you know of of what's happened with Walt. Uh, Marie uh, definitely Hank. Uh, this episode with uh, Tuco definitely had effects on Hank, which we will see in upcoming episodes. But can you guys talk a little bit about? what your intention was or or how you guys dealt with in the writer's room about the changes because like i said this is a quieter episode but there's a lot of subtext in going on here with all of our characters a lot of it is is just following on the consequences of what's happened in the previous two episodes and one of the things that really appeals to me about the show is that each episode hopefully is, is entertaining and, and and engrossing in itself but it is one story it is. that we're telling it is. and so we really work hard not to leave things just sitting there and not deal with them so a lot of it is really thinking about what you know these tremendous events what effect they have on each of the characters you know for instance you know hank has been a shootout what effect does that have on marie and you're you're going to see as you see a little bit in this episode but it, it continues on what the effect of, of that realization that he's not just a desk jockey that there is some serious danger that he could be facing mm-hmm. what effect that has on her and it has on their marriage uh, so I think, you know, and that really, it, it impacts all the characters, really, what, yeah. what happened. And I, I'm hoping that you also see Jesse has changed since uh, the first episode of the season. You know, what his, that, that whole encounter with Tuco and what he did with Tuco. Yeah. I think he's, you know, there's a depth to this kid that he's just starting to feel. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping those things all kind of start ringing in this episode. And But believe me, the reverberations are going to continue on through the whole season. That's true. Yeah, so much of it, Kelly, is about, uh, you know, you're watching, you know, we've all seen thousands and thousands of hours of cop shows and cop movies and, and crime movies and whatnot, and great stuff, lots and lots of great stuff. We've watched our whole lives, but usually in a crime movie, the good guy will shoot a guy and foil a bank robbery and kill a guy, and then, you know, that is over and said and done with, or his partner will get shot or something, and he grieves over the fallen comrade for about... 10 or 15 seconds of screen time, and then you go on to the next set piece. Who wants to watch Grieving? Yeah, Yeah, and that's not even remotely what real life is like. No. So I guess our mandate, or what we give ourselves for a mandate, is to sit around in the writer's room and say, you know, what are the repercussions in real life? Not in, you know, certainly we could drop, you know, any particular plot device or plot point we're using we've had our fun with it now we can discard it move on come up with a new thing mm-hmm. and you know audiences are trying to buy into that and not question you know hey what happened whatever happened what were the what was the fallout from that thing that happened way back in episode three but but we like we have more fun keeping those threads going keeping those storylines alive 
So that's that's sort of the way we approach it. And one thing that really intrigues me about the first three episodes is the story of the uh, this diaper box. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, something that I was very, very worried about. All through these three episodes is this diaper box with money and a gun. <laughs> <laughs> How do you explain that? Yeah. You come from the factory that way? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bonus. There's It's like the Willy Wonka ticket. Do you guys think at this point that Walt, is he getting more confident or is he just, you know, he's really kind of just just steps ahead of everybody else. <laughs> I feel like he's getting way more confident in handling with Jesse and in handling the business. But at home, he, you know, I'm not sure if he feels like he's in control or if he feels like, you know, he is just steps in front of everybody. Do you he, guys? It doesn't seem like he feels much in control to me. What do you think? I I think he. I think he's. Uh, he, he he see. He presents himself as someone you would think would be a long-term thinker, but he really doesn't seem to look that far into the future. And of course, yeah. you know, he knows he's going to die of cancer. So does so he? How maybe far does he have to look? Yeah. yeah. So I think he's focusing uh, moment by moment. I mean, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's the impact on his marriage that just that, that I, I definitely see what you're saying with him. Him and Jesse. He seems to be at this point handling Jesse. Uh, to some extent, but that's you know that's all that's up for grabs as we go on. Is that something that you guys discuss in the writers' room? Do you guys talk about, you know, what is really like in Walt's head? Do you guys get in Walt's head? No, we try to. I mean, we do our best, and that's that's the, what the bulk of our days are taken up with. Not just Walt, but Skyler and and Hank and and Walt Jr. and Marie and and uh, and certainly Jesse. We're yeah, it's 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 our job to sit around in a room for hours and hours on end and and. We can't write anything with any depth to it at all that would really work on the levels we wanted to work at if we didn't understand who the characters were. But having said that, there's still plenty of times we get into very uh, interesting arguments over what's he thinking here? Why is mm -hmm. he doing this? Well, I think it's because of this. Well, no, I disagree. I think it's because of that. And actually, they're all valid. We've all put in the homework all of us writers uh, sitting around thinking about these people for, for day and night, waking up thinking about them for hours on end. It, it, it's interesting to see how there can be very uh, honestly earned disagreements over where these characters' heads are at, which used to bug me a little bit, and, that, and then I, I got real sanguine about it because it's like, no, this is good. We want water cooler moments. We mm -hmm. want moments in our episodes, not just big explosive moments or funny moments not not just the gooey remains of a gangster falling through the tub into the hallway below but we want <laughs> the real water cooler moments for me and and we've got we got a bunch of them coming up this season you guys haven't seen yet but some of the best water cooler moments are when fans can can talk about the episode afterward and say why did he do that and is he right to do that and no he's absolutely wrong to do that well yeah but aren't there mitigating circumstances and what about you know it's there's there's a lot of room for arguing, and we want that. We're looking for that. On, you know, we want that to be the case. We want people having good, healthy arguments over why things are happening the way they are in the show, why the characters are doing what they're doing. You know. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Big changes coming up next week. We're going to talk about episode 204, which is called Down. John Dahl, directed by the great John Dahl, who directed uh, The Last Seduction, among other among other really good movies. But uh, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's go break bad.